Today's reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 to 30, and that's on page 1135 of the Bibles in the pews. So starting from verse 18 of chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is God's word. Vicky, thank you. Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller, if we've not met. Um, lots going on at this time of year. Of course there is, of course there is. But if uh, th- those dates for the, the, the church getaway, at least get them in, in your diary. It will be a great time. It's been quite a lot of effort finding a venue um, that uh, works. And um, we've got a terrific speaker, a dear friend, Scott Mackay, will be coming, all sorts of other good things you can hear about. But um, uh, I do get those dates down, if nothing else. Let me lead us in prayer as we look at these very rich verses together. Our great God and Father, here is a promise that we need. Here is truth that is uh, wonderful and somewhat overwhelming, that uh, you are with us. In the deepest sense, your spirit groans alongside us. That in our deepest of troubles, you are working good. Father, here is a truth that we we need. Uh, We need it to get through this life. Maybe we need it very desperately at the moment. Father, help us to understand it truly, rightly. Would it be solid ground that we could build our lives upon, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Every so often, you'll be on a journey home and um, it's a bit of a shocker, and um, feel free to daydream for a couple of minutes. You've all had those, you know, you're driving back through France, great. You get to the Eurotunnel, Q, 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 
queue and you think, ooh, ooh, and they tell you there's been a fire, whatever. I can think of times I've just, we just sat there and just thought, right, get a tent. We could be here sometime. And, ooh, you know, just horrible, horrible, horrible. But you get home and then you forget, basically, until you need a sermon illustration of some kind. You forget. Um, perhaps I think vividly uh, when I was a school teacher taking a, a school ski trip. And then on the way home, being stuck in Logan Airport, Boston, for two nights with 60-odd kids, five staff. And you know when you're just, you're just stuck. And the, the, they, have, they, have, they have pity on you because they know there's nowhere you can go. So they bring around those delicious free sandwiches that airports offer you when you're stuck forever. You know, which is basically two slices of bread and the filling is some bread. And... <laughs> And so 60-odd kids who've had nothing but Coke and bread for 48 hours and no sleep and grumpy other passengers telling you in no uncertain terms that they're disappointed with your teaching techniques (laughs) and the control of your pupils 36 hours into this non-sleep fest and you've slept on the floor and your clothes are fetid. Um, But when you get home, you forget, eventually, until you need something to demonstrate a point. You see, that when we get home, even if the journey's been grim, we might remember details, but in the end we don't care, because we've just got home. And we're in this very deep, rich chapter of Romans chapter 8, which reminds us that at times the journey through life is pretty hard work. At times... It's a slog. At times, it's bruising. But you will get home. You will get home. And then the details, you'll forget. You'll laugh. You'll tell stories about it. Do you remember stuck in Logan Airport? (laughs) Um, You weren't laughing at the time. Um, But with hindsight, and when you're home and you're comfortable again, that is this life at times. Not just painful, but deeply frustrating grueling, tragic. And in our just few verses, verses 26 to 30, two truths to help us in that journey. The Lord, he is with you and he's working for your good. It's very simple. He's with you, he's working for your good. So take heart, keep going. Be bold, even, in adversity. He's with you, he'll take you home. We are then, uh, I think, six weeks in this chapter of uh, Romans, chapter 8, on our slow walk through the book of Romans. And uh, we've been saying that the chapter itself is bookended. Chapter 8, verse 1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And chapter 8, verse 39, no separation. The, the chapter is one of deep assurance for the Christian. The Lord will take you home. And in the first 17 verses that Phil took us through, the, the issue is, well, what about my sin? I, I, I'm still sinful. and I, I, Can God still will he really get me home? And the, the deep assurance that comes of the, the work of the Spirit, uh, both helping you make progress against sin, persuading you are a child of the living God if you're a Christian. Um, wonderful. And then 18 to 30, this section we're in at the moment, really the focus on suffering, and pretty much that takes us to the end of the chapter 39. Will our sufferings, is that going to derail me? Is it worth it, the Christian life, when at times it's so deeply 
odd. We have a God, but yet he puts us through this. We have one who claims he's our father, and yet we endure these circumstances. And the headline over the second half of the chapter we looked at last week, chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You you can't compare present suffering and future glory. They're just not on the same page. They're not even remotely. So that's where we got to. We looked really last time, verses 18 to uh, 25. I remind you, Jesus walked the path of suffering, we were told. Chapter 8, verse 17. And then glory. And that'll be true of the Christian. Suffering, then glory. And uh, today, then, two further aids to keep us going, keep us looking forward to this future glory. The Spirit is praying for us if we're Christians, and the Father is working all things for our good. Wonderful truths for the Christian believer. The Spirit is praying for us in adversity, frustrations, and the Father is working for our good. Let's work through the two, the two of them. Uh, first, the, the Spirit prays the groans of our hearts. That's what he's doing. The Spirit prays the groans of our hearts. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, what's going on there? In the same way, verse 26, in the same way as presumably what he's just said, as hope in the future, as hope in glory in the future, as hope in the future wonder completely outweighs our present sufferings. In a similar way to that, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit sustains us and keeps us going with a hope on the future. And how does he do that? Well, he prays for us, we're told. It's good news, isn't it? Someone's praying for you. Um, the, the Spirit of God himself is praying for you. Three little questions about that. Well, well, first, what does he pray? Well, verse 26, he helps us in our weakness. That's defined as we don't know, verse 26, what we ought to pray for. It's further defined as, verse 27, Spirit prays or intercedes in accordance with the will of God. So what is it that the Spirit is praying? He's praying for us in our weakness when we don't know what to pray and and in accordance with the will of God, which verse 29 will tell us is being conformed to Jesus. What does that sort of mean? I think it means that when you and I are enduring tribulation and frustration and suffering, there are plenty of times we don't know exactly what to pray. I mean, probably most of us sort of cover the bases or, or try to. Lord, Lord, for this person who's sick, we pray that you'd relieve their suffering and we pray also that you'd uh, sustain them uh, and keep them going in their suffering. We pray that they would be an encouragement to other people in their suffering. We pray all sorts of things. We don't know the best thing to pray. They're all good things to pray, but we don't know quite what the, the, the most the, the thing is to pray. Well, the Spirit is interceding. For us. That's what he's doing. How does he pray? Second little question. It's curious. We're told 
the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. Well, it can't be speaking in tongues. I've heard some things. It's wordless. It can't, I don't think, just be that this is something that he does all the time. The Spirit is like a silent pump going on uh, in the background. You know, just like the, 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 the lungs of the body are oxygenating the blood the whole time. We're not conscious of it, but it just happens all the time. Um, and all the time, the Spirit is just sort of humming away in the background. Um, just like, I don't think it's that. Because we're told that the, 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 the Father searches our hearts and knows the minds of the spirits. There's something also going on within our hearts, our emotional and and subconscious life, I think, here. And I think probably the best explanation comes a little bit earlier in verse 16. I think it's probably similar to that, where we were told that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children there's something going on here where in our tribulation, our suffering, in our hearts, there are all these unexpressed uh, frustrations and uh, um, sort of praying that just longings and yearnings, we want this to stop. And the Spirit takes them and turns them into meaningful prayers that you and I can't hear. To God the Father. The Spirit is interceding, I think, with and through the longings or groanings of our hearts. I think that's what's happening. Third little question, so what? <laughs> what I mean, what, why do we need to know this? I think just so be encouraged. Because there are recurrent times when you and I will think, I don't know what to pray. Did you ask the details? But on Monday night, I sat with head in hand saying, Lord, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to do now. I don't know what, I just don't know. And here is encouragement that, well, the Spirit of God is taking the groanings, the frustrations, the the longings, the yearnings of our heart and turning them into meaningful prayers before God the Father. But this is a very imperfect illustration, but uh, um, when you become a parent uh, and your your baby's crying and other parents say to you, you, you can discern the difference between a cry for wind or a cry for milk or a cry because the baby is cold and when you first become a parent you think you're joking they're just making a lot of noise and then somehow magically a a few months in and you think oh he needs nappy changes you know oh he's a bit windy Uh, oh she needs some milk well you probably know that from the time but um you can discern now baby is just saying I mean, that is literally what baby is saying. I, I need something. Something is not right. I mean, they're not sort of consciously able to formulate it. But, um, but the parent says, yeah, I, I hear you. And I know what. I know what you're longing for. Here's what the parent doesn't do. The parent doesn't say to the child aged three months, well, you may want something. But unless you can formulate a proper sentence and say, please, at the end of it, I'm not delivering it for you. Where is the verb in that sentence? What does that even mean, what you're saying? 
Um, if you can't communicate and if you can't ask nicely, <clears throat> magic word, um, if you can't ask nicely, you don't get, the parent doesn't say that because they know it's just unreasonable. What do you expect a three-month-year-old to do? They go, where? It's actually quite useful. You know that they need something. Now, look, that is not perfect. But the will of God is not frustrated by our inability to pray lovely prayers. God acting for us, God responding to our needs, is not prevented by the fact that you and I can't pray competently. The Spirit of God can take the longings, the yearnings, the frustrations of our hearts and turn them into meaningful prayers. And the Father searches our hearts and says, yes, I know exactly what you need. This is not an excuse not to pray. Plenty of places in the Bible tell you, pray. However, in adversity, when you don't know what to pray, when you can't pray and others draw alongside you to hold you up, here's encouragement. The Spirit of God is praying for you to the Father. The Spirit prays the groans of our hearts in our adversities. The Spirit is with you. He's praying for you. And then secondly, the Father works all things for our good. Verses 28 to 30. Verse 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, most will know, I'm sure, here is a promise that has been incredibly precious for the Church of Christ throughout the centuries. And it's somewhat overwhelming as a truth as well. Again, three little questions. Uh, who, who is this promise for? The promise of God working all things for good. The promise is for Christians. Um, that's obvious, isn't it? Verse 28. It's God is working all things for the good of those who love him. He's working all things for, the good, for those who've been called according to his purpose. If you're not yet a Christian here this morning, uh, God is good and he gives you many things which are good. But he may not at this moment be ultimately working for your good. Because unless you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your eternity is miserable. And that is not good. So it's a promise that applies to Christian. He is Christians. He is working for your good in all things. What is promised? Second little thing. Well, that God works good. God works circumstances for good. Not that just he manipulates things and something which is going wrong, he magically, you know, he's just the perfect chess player who magically restores things to a winning position. But in his sovereign plan, he's working all things for good. What is the good? Well, verse 29 defines it as being conformed to the image of his son. Now, there's a present and future to that. Through, through adversity here in the present, the Lord is making us more like 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He's taking this lump of marble that is you and me and chipping away at it, chipping away at it, and slowly, slowly we're becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true. I think the primary focus, though, is future. Verse 29, God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. In other words, I think it's curiously expressed, this idea of image and firstborn. It's Christ as risen, the firstborn amongst many believers. Christ as resurrected. I think Paul is saying he's conforming us to become like Jesus so that in glory we can see him. Jesus is now glorified. His father wants him to have many brothers and sisters. Now, if we're going to be able to look at Jesus in glory, we need to become like him. I think it's what he's saying here. And in one sense, it stops us just being focused on ourselves, that the part of, we're part of a much larger plan for Jesus to have many brothers and sisters with him in glory. It's not just about you and about me. We're being prepared. In other words, he's ensuring that we'll make it home. Third, and here's the, in one sense, the most wonderful and challenging element, third little question. When is this for, this promise? Verse 28, all things. And that's, I think, when we draw breath and say, oh. Because all things is all-encompassing. Good things, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the flow of chapter 8, suffering, groaning, frustration, the Lord will use those things, allow them in our life for his good and our good. Before we get into it, one sense, just two little clarifying comments, if I may. Uh, the first, here is a truth. Can I just say, but the first, um, be gentle with it. The, the promise that God will put us through suffering for our good is strong medicine. And it will do us great good. But if you force it down someone's throat when they're not ready, they'll be sick. So just be gentle. I can just think of one or two occasions I've got this wrong. And on other occasions where this magnificent truth has just felt like a large stick that I've been beaten with. Pastor, you know, you know that God is working for your good, so crack on and get on with it. Now, right now, I need you to hear Romans 12, mourn with those who mourn. You can tell me that Romans 8, 28, you can whisper it, but right now, I just need you to sit with me and cry. Uh, so be gentle. Be gentle with a truth such as this. Uh, I think occasionally you can, we can use it to dismiss people. Uh, oh, yes, I can see. Yeah, your life is hard at the moment. Um, anyway, uh, Romans 8, 28. See ya. Because uh, I haven't really got time to sit down with you at the moment. Anyway, it's a little workout. God's got it. Um, and I haven't. And I'm out of here. Sometimes. Oh, look, it's, an, it's a wonderful medicine, but to be administered... Gently, in the right doses, 
at the right pace. Be gentle. And then um, be realistic about what it's saying. It is not saying that all things are intrinsically good and pleasant because they are not. He is not saying that that bereavement is a pleasant thing, that that sickness is a pleasant thing, a good thing. He's saying it produces good. God works through it for good. That is very different. At the center of the history of this world is the crucifixion of the Son of God. And of course, if you were there and interviewed, forgive a little blasphemy, Jesus upon the cross, are you having a good time? No. Is this a pleasant moment for you? No. Actually, is this horrific? Yes. Do you want it to end? Yes. Would you rather not endure it? Yes. Is this a gross miscarriage of justice? Yes. Is this wickedness? Yes. Is God using it for good? Yes. So you have to hold on to that. At the center of the history of the world, at the center of the Christian faith, is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which is horrific. It's wicked. It's despicable. It's painful. And God uses it for good. So be realistic in how we talk about this. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In my frustration, because if I'm honest, I'm sat here and thinking, my life is not how I wanted it to be. If I was really honest with you, I'd say I'm disappointed, frustrated, jealous, resentful of how other people's lives. Does God use my frustration for good? Yes. Yes, he uses all things for your good. What about my suffering? What about my bereavement? What about my cancer? Because it doesn't feel very good. And I can't do anything useful for the Lord right now. I've just been taken out of useful service. Yes? He is using it for your good. He will conform you to his son. He will ensure you get home. What about my sin? I mean, because that's just bad, isn't it? I mean, that's my own fault. I shouldn't do it. That's rebellion. I shouldn't do that. No, you shouldn't. But he's using it for your good. He may well allow you to sin and fall to prevent you doing something much worse in the future, to shock you. What about when I'm sinned against? What about when I'm unfairly dismissed at work? What about when I'm abused? 
and we say with a gulp, yes. Yes, even those circumstances he's using for your good. That's unfathomable, I know. But he's using it for your good. And like the cross, these events can be evil and ghastly and wicked. And God can be using them for good. Let me just observe some obvious things. Question, um, wow, what if this was not true? Because it, it is a tough medicine, strong medicine, to think that God allows these things for our good. But what if it's not true? If it's not true, well, then it's all random, isn't it? And some of us get sick, and some of us die, and some of us have a hard life, and some of us have an easy life, and some of us are impoverished, and some have plenty of money. And, um, and uh, if, you, if you haven't got much, unlucky, you're just a loser in the game of life. <laughs> unlucky, sorry about that. What? That is also, I would suggest, even more brutal. Here we know it's an extraordinary thing that God would use pain, suffering for our good, but it is for our good. There is purpose. He is achieving good things through it. Otherwise, life is pretty miserable at times. So hard though this truth is, it is also wonderful. And then the question I ask always of this is, um, okay, okay, what times is this tough medicine, but I know I need it. Yeah, I know it's doing me good. I know it's actually very wonderful. Can I see the good? I mean, I can endure this, but can I see something that's good coming from this? And the answer is sometimes, but very often, No. I'd like to see something good come from this. I'll wait. That will come in glory. You'll see God's purposes much more clearly. But often, no. And yet we trust the Lord's good plans. We trust his plans for our lives. We've seen his plan of salvation. We've seen that God would enter this world as a man. We've seen that God would send his one and only son to die, to endure grievous, offensive, evil, suffering, frustration, grief, to achieve good. We know, we know that our career path is meant to be like that of Jesus. Yeah, there's suffering now, but glory later. And if God himself will do that, well, he has a plan. So we may not see the good now, although we might, and sometimes we're allowed to see that, and that's encouraging. But the ultimate good is that we'll be glorified like Jesus. Verse 29. We know those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified. He also glorified. Here is what people often call the golden chain of salvation. God foreknew, predestined, called, justified, 
glorified. Those five steps. It's God's work. He's the subject of all the verbs. What he begins, he completes. You cannot break this chain. Before the creation of the world, God foreknew. Not just that um, he had cognitive knowledge in advance. Uh, This is not how the verb gets used biblically. Foreknew, to know is a relational word. Adam knew his wife. They had sex. That's what it means. It's a relational word for, for, for God to foreknow. It's not just, oh, look, I can see what's happening around the corner. He chose. He chose to set his love upon you. And once you enter this chain, it can't be broken. Those who he has called, they will be glorified. That's what we've been talking about since verse 18. They will be glorified. He will bring you home. The Father will bring you home to glory. He started you on that journey. He never lets you go. And Paul's point in writing this is to say, keep going boldly. Your life, your, your life is safe in eternity. So even if it feels wobbly now, it is safe. Your home is secure in heaven. So even if you doubt that at moments now, you, you don't need to make yourself safe now. Because safety and security comes in heaven. The Spirit prays the groans of our hearts. The Father works all things for our good. And so we will be glorified like Jesus. Three weeks ago, uh, I couldn't make it in the morning, but three weeks ago in the evening we had Laura Nelson, one of our mission partners uh, here on Sunday night. Uh, it's a lovely 10 minutes worth of interview that, that Liz did with her. I mean, some, some people know her story variably, but uh, Laura was, was part of the team here on the staff and 20 years ago went with her husband, Edward, to, to plant church in, in, in Paris. Um, it's gone great in many, many ways. Uh, and they've galvanized all sorts of church planting and trained other pastors in Paris. The, the summer of 2020, in an accident, Edward tragically died and leaving Laura and four kids and a church without a pastor and um, it's funny she's a great trophy of God's grace we could stand here and Liz could ask her about that and say yeah you know these things are true you know God is in charge and you know God has a plan and, and then your husband dies and then you're the single mum of four kids trying what are we going to do now in Paris and all of a sudden where you cognitively know that the Lord has got you and you cognitively know Uh, that heaven is a good place, all of a sudden, you know. You know that not just I'm following the Lord, but he is holding me. And the hope of glory is not just a truth. These things you know more deeply, of course. At times, this journey of life is riotous fun. Let's be honest, we have a hoot, we have a blast. And there are seasons of life and uh, weeks of the year and all sorts of things. There are times in this life, it's just brilliant. Either just the joys of life in this world, actually the joys of serving Jesus, brilliant. At times, it is not. 
At times it is hard. At times it is painful. And Paul is telling us here, look, your present sufferings cannot be compared to future glory. And know this in the lowest moments. Even if you can't pray, the Spirit of God himself searches the groans within your heart and groans them to the Lord in a way the Father understands. He is with you in the deepest, richest sense of the meaning. And know this in a way that makes us gulp and we desperately want to hear the answers more clearly in heaven. Even the worst, our sufferings, our frustrations, our pain, God is using for our good, individually, our good as a community. He's using them for good. It is better this way because he's a good father. And so Paul would say, take heart. Keep going. Be bold. Safety comes. Safety is guaranteed in heaven. He will take you home. The journey may be miserable at points, but you'll get home and you'll smile even at those moments in the past which caused you such pain. Let's pray together. Father, here again is a truth that is strong medicine. And at times we don't like taking it. And yet when we think clearly, we know we'd be absolutely bereft without it. Here is truth that uh, we know mentally we can build our lives upon. Many of us here know have had periods in our own lives and walks where it's the only thing that's kept us going. That the pain, the frustration, the loss, the grief, the confusion, the bewilderment, the anger that we feel at our circumstances... It's all within the plan of a father who knows what is best for us. It's all being used to achieve our good. You will take us home. So, Father, help us to give thanks and rejoice for this truth, even though at times we find it a little bewildering. Would we never doubt your fatherly goodness towards us? Even when it hurts, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.